I'm Lauren Sherman, the writer behind Puck's fashion and beauty memo line sheet. And I'd like to welcome you to my new show, Fashion People. On every episode of Fashion People, I'll be talking to insiders about the stuff we're all whispering between the press releases. From M&A rumors to celebrity stylist dish to the future of legacy media. Be sure to follow and listen to Fashion People, a presentation of Odyssey in partnership with Puck. Available on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. C-13 Originals. They hate us. They hate our trucks. They hate our plastic straws. And yes, they hate our guns. But what they fail to understand is we don't give a damn what they think. It's Friday, April 26th, 2019, in Indianapolis, Indiana. And Chris Cox, who heads up the lobbying arm of the National Rifle Association, is addressing a large crowd of devoted NRA members inside Lucas Oil Stadium. Roughly 80,000 people have traveled from all over the country to attend the NRA annual meeting and exhibits, also known as the annual celebration of freedom. But the truth is there's never been a tougher time to be a believer in American freedom than right here, right now. Never in the history of the NRA have so many powerful forces attacked us on so many different fronts. It's a three-day convention and a show of strength for the gun rights nonprofit organization, which happens to be the nation's most powerful special interest group. The event is complete with a gun show and an all-star lineup of right-wing speakers, including the weekend's biggest attraction. Please welcome the 45th president of the United States of America, Donald J. Trump. President Trump enters from the right and faces the crowd for more than two full minutes before approaching Cox, who stands next to the NRA's top executive, Wayne LaPierre. The three men shake hands, pat each other on the back, and then pose for photos to memorialize a moment that none of them take for granted. Trump is the first president since Ronald Reagan to address NRA members at their annual convention. Well, I want to thank Chris and Wayne. I'm thrilled to be here in Indiana with the men and women of the NRA. You are great American patriots. Chris Cox, Wayne LaPierre, Oliver North. I've been following Oliver for a long time. Great guy. The NRA spent $30 million towards putting President Trump in the White House. Its ability as a group to mobilize its passionate membership has had an impact on elections at every level of government. And it's led by Executive Vice President and CEO Wayne LaPierre. At 70 years old, LaPierre has been at the helm for nearly 30 years, and he has become a divisive national figure. He is the one not just in charge of the NRA, but the face of the organization. 
When the NRA feels compelled to speak after a mass shooting, it is LaPierre who does the talking. Without us, we wouldn't have had President Trump. We wouldn't have had George W. Bush. I mean, there's not another organization in the country that is directly responsible because of the influence we all have as American citizens that stand for the Second Amendment. We will never back away from our resolve to defend our rights and the rights of all law-abiding gun owners. And if the media doesn't like it, you know where they can go? They can go straight all the way back to Concord Bridge and take a flying leap. After Wayne LaPierre is finished, there's one more speaker left. The NRA's president, Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North. North is a prominent right-wing personality. You may remember him as the key person under investigation during the Iran-Contra scandal of the late 1980s. But now, a little over 30 years later, he is addressing the NRA membership for the first time since becoming president of the organization just seven months prior. We have more than five million members. We need more. You know, some of you remember when Charlton Heston was the president of this great organization, and I'm honored, truly, to follow in his footsteps as president of the NRA. But I, I have to point out that Charlton Heston was Moses. Moses gave us 10 commandments. I'm a United States Marine. I'm here to deliver 10 million members before the 2020 elections. To anybody watching, it seemed as though the NRA was on top of the world. Gratitude and praise from a sitting president, combative jabs at the media, a Marine's promise to double membership in 18 months. But what most people in that stadium and around the country didn't realize is that all of this optimism was a charade. Because the very same NRA leaders who took the stage to boast about unity, strength, and resolve were also responsible for escalating a civil war within the organization. A civil war which, in less than 24 hours, would explode into public view, beginning a cascade of embarrassing revelations which now threaten to destroy the nearly 150-year-old National Rifle Association. And it's all because of one reason. Money. Tonight, new questions emerging about lavish spending and potential conflicts of interest at the National Rifle Association. For years, Wayne LaPierre has taken NRA members' money to live the life of a king. We are fighting back against a highly coordinated scorched earth assault to destroy the NRA. But he's not a king, he's the head of a non-profit. The NRA is also dealing with a major conflict from within its own organization. Behind the scenes, the gun lobby group is in shambles. I'm Andrew Jenks. Welcome to Gangster Capitalism, season two, the NRA.
It's day two of the 2019 convention, the membership meeting. This is an open forum where members have an opportunity to speak directly to the executive board. Yes, say your name, please. There's a large audience of seated NRA members. They're looking up at a table, which is positioned at center stage. And in front of each chair, there's a name tag for the executives. NRA TV, the organization's digital network, is broadcasting the meeting live. Executives enter stage left, and the camera follows them as they take their seats. Your executive vice president and chief executive officer, Wayne LaPierre. After LaPierre takes the stage, the camera pans left to capture the next person. But nobody comes out. As the applause dies down, the audience can clearly see that resting on the table is a name tag for Oliver North. But his chair is empty. Just 24 hours prior, Oliver North pledged to deliver 5 million new NRA members before the 2020 election, effectively doubling the membership total in 18 months. And he'd received a rousing ovation. Now, he had suddenly disappeared. And the question on everyone's mind was, what happened to Oliver North? Calling all pop culture enthusiasts. Are you obsessed with all things celebrity? Do you live for the drama, the laughs, and the unexpected moments that unfold on social media? Then you're going to want to tune in to the Comments by Celebs podcast. Join us three times a week as we deep dive into every aspect of pop culture. Whether it's dissecting the latest trends or just chatting about your favorite celebs, Comments by Celebs has you covered. We have new episodes out every week. Follow and listen to Comments by Celebs on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Amy Poehler, here to tell you about a new improvised show from Paper Kite Podcasts, the team that brought you Say More with Dr. Sheila. Check out our new parody podcast, Women Talking About Murder. It's a show about women talking about murder. Every episode features special guests, twists, turns, and the mystery of a missing co-host. Available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. In order to understand why Oliver North was a no-show at the 2019 membership meeting, we need to rewind almost a full year. On May 16, 2018, New York City public advocate Letitia James announced her candidacy for New York Attorney General. Hi, my name is Letitia James. My friends refer to me as Tish. I'm the New York City public advocate. I'm announcing I'm a candidate as the New York State Attorney General, the people's lawyer. I've got seven James promised so that if elected, she would investigate the NRA's nonprofit status. In an interview, she even stated, quote, the NRA holds itself out as a charitable organization, but in fact, it really is a terrorist organization. 
Tish James is running for the attorney general. She's not the attorney general at that point, but she becomes the front runner. That's Danny Hakem, a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist for the New York Times. So the New York attorney general has a lot of sway over nonprofit organizations that are chartered in New York. You can just look at what happened to the Trump Foundation. The attorney general's office could potentially seek to take away the group's nonprofit status, revoke its status. And that would be a crippling blow to the organization. So this is something that the NRA is taking very seriously. And at that point, the NRA hired a new law firm, Bill Brewer. Attorney William A. Brewer III is known for his pinstripe suits and his no-holds-barred approach. Though Brewer has called his style fearless advocacy, others have described it as Rambo tactics. And the Washington Post described Brewer as, quote, a brash lawyer who has drawn ethics complaints and has a reputation for escalating disputes into pricey legal battles. When the NRA hired him in 2018, he certainly didn't fit the profile of what one might think of as a typical NRA lawyer. Though based in Dallas, he's originally from New York, and he's donated to Democratic candidates such as Hillary Clinton and Beto O'Rourke. But that's precisely what made him appealing. The NRA felt that Brewer's background and apparent political leanings would give them an advantage in dealing with the state of New York and the looming threat of Letitia James. Shortly after being hired, Brewer persuaded Wayne LaPierre that in preparation for a potential investigation, the NRA needed to conduct an exhaustive internal audit. This was supposedly intended to make the organization aware of its own vulnerabilities. LaPierre agreed, and Bill Brewer initiated the audit by soliciting all NRA vendors for financial documents needed to justify their work. The operation started off without much of a problem. That was until it got to its oldest and most trusted partner, the Oklahoma City-based advertising firm Ackerman McQueen. This is not just an advertising firm. They did so much more for the NRA over the years. They handled the way their image was presented. They handled a lot of their public relations. They wrote speeches. They ran the annual conventions. You know, a lot of the most visible faces of the NRA were actually Ackerman employees. Ackerman McQueen, or ACMAC as it was known to insiders, had a relationship with the NRA that dated back nearly 40 years. And Wayne LaPierre was an old friend of ACMAC's longtime CEO, Angus McQueen, who passed away in July of 2019. Here's Angus McQueen speaking in 2002 about his philosophy on advertising. We're advertising people. We're optimists. We're believers in good things being just around the bend. Our work fills the spaces that distract the eye from tragedy. Angus once said that he spoke to Wayne almost every day. 
Most people agree that Angus was the most instrumental person in crafting both Wayne's and the NRA's image. These two organizations were deeply intertwined, and Angus was at the center of that. Angus was Wayne's main point of contact. They were in constant communication. I think he was just a sounding board for everything that had to do with the NRA's image. And really at the heart of their relationship was figuring out how the NRA would present itself to the world. Ackerman McQueen created the NRA's print campaigns, commercials, political advertisements, and handled its messaging. They even wrote Wayne LaPierre's speeches, including lines like this one. The only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. In addition to shaping LaPierre's image, Ackerman McQueen also cultivated a roster of dynamic media personalities to help spread the NRA's message. I'm asking your opinion as a representative of the NRA. That's what the NRA's position has been. The NRA came, I'm talking for them. These are the five million members that I'm here representing. That is what that group's position has been on that. So that answers your question. And they spoke about that before the president made a move. And they spoke about that. That last clip was Dana Lash at a CNN town hall on gun violence. She's addressing Parkland survivor Emma Gonzalez. She appears as the NRA's spokesperson. But in fact, Lash was actually an employee of Ackerman McQueen. Over the years, the NRA came to trust Ackerman McQueen implicitly and increasingly relied on their services. So much so that Brewer's internal audit revealed that the NRA had paid Ackerman over $40 million in 2017 alone. And now, Brewer wanted to account for it. But there was a problem. The way the NRA has said it, They're asking for financial records from all of their contractors. And Ackerman is the only one that's not providing the records. I have looked at letters that went back and forth between the sides. You know, at one point, there was an Ackerman lawyer that says, we have produced a lot of documents already. Some of the things you're asking us for could create a problem. Hakem reported that the Ackerman-McQueen lawyer, Stephen Ryan, wrote a letter claiming that, quote, Ackerman's production of records had been exhaustive. Some of the requested documentation did not currently exist, and any documents it produced could become fodder for regulators. He added, the NRA may wish to proceed with caution in creating paper trails. Why are we creating paper trails that government investigators could one day follow? So there were a number of points of friction about these document requests that continued for months. In November of 2018, the NRA's fears were realized. If you will repeat after me, I, I, Letitia A. James, Letitia A. James, do solemnly swear, do solemnly swear, Letitia James won the election for Attorney General of New York. The Office of Attorney General. The Office of Attorney General. Additionally, the audit revealed that they were hemorrhaging money. 
running tens of millions of dollars in the red each year. It was part of the reason why 2018 was the first election cycle that the NRA was outspent by gun control groups, contributing to the worst midterm defeat for Republicans since the Watergate era. As part of an attempt to rebound financially, the NRA decided to elect a new president with star power, someone who could drum up support and attract new members. That would be Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North. The NRA has not had a celebrity president since Heston. That's Mike Spees, a journalist for ProPublica, who has written explosive exposés on the NRA for The Trace and The New Yorker. And the NRA had already been through a very tumultuous period of bad public relations. You know, of course, the major thing that happened was Parkland, a horrible school shooting that energized and captivated the imaginations of Americans in a way that they had not been energized or captivated since Sandy Hook. And they needed somebody who had the prestige and also carried a certain amount of cachet and celebrity among conservatives. Oliver North is a public figure. He's a brand. Oliver North hosted a show on Fox News, and he was getting paid much more than he'd get as the NRA president. The NRA board president role, while it is that you are an officer, it is still ceremonial and you are not paid. It is a volunteer position. So in order to lure him to this post and then get him to be extremely active and regularly out in front speaking on behalf of the organization, they had to make it attractive. And they had to get creative. The thought was, if he was paid by Akron McQueen, it would not have to go on the organization's tax filing because it wasn't being paid by the National Rifle Association. So the NRA president would be paid by Ackerman McQueen, its top vendor. As part of the deal, North was slated to produce a 12-episode documentary series for NRA TV, the group's digital network, which was produced and operated by Ackerman. Here again is Danny Hakem from the New York Times. So the way it was set up, he got a contract from Akram and McQueen, and it was a contract worth more than $2 million a year. So this is something that really hadn't been done in the past for an NRA president. We're talking about a nonprofit organization, so that's something that's going to raise questions when a contractor for a nonprofit is giving a multi-million dollar contract to an officer of the nonprofit. That's going to raise questions. As a matter of fact, questions were already being raised internally at the onset of North's tenure. Hakem reported that there was a concerned employee at the NRA who wrote a memo shortly after North took the job, stating, quote, Using a vendor to provide compensation to an NRA officer, director, or high-level employee does not work to hide disclosure of the compensation. When the Internal Audit Committee re-examined this issue, it came to the same conclusion. They said, no, this is a related party transaction. 
It's the same thing as if we were paying him. So when they discovered it, they said, well, this will only work if we do publicly report it. Otherwise, we're going to be jeopardizing our tax-exempt status. The NRA realized that it would have to disclose North's compensation in its tax filings, which would become readily available to journalists and anyone else who cared to look. This would inevitably lead to questions about the contract and its merits. Mainly, whose idea was it to pay an NRA president with Ackerman money? There's been a dispute about who knew what when about the contract. The Ackerman side has said that Wayne helped negotiate the contract. He was completely in the loop on it. They say it's sort of ridiculous to think otherwise. You know, that you're bringing in a president, you're figuring out an arrangement to pay him a couple million dollars a year. It's ridiculous to think that LaPierre wouldn't be completely involved. LaPierre has said that he didn't help negotiate the contract. He did tell me that he did know some of the details of the contract, but he portrays a much less hands-on role in the negotiation of that contract. In Hakem's recent conversation with LaPierre for the New York Times, when asked about the contract dispute, LaPierre said, quote, I wasn't in that meeting. But a source with knowledge of the situation told us that not only was Wayne aware, he made the decision to use Ackerman as the go-between and suggested that they bill North's salary back to the NRA. This contract dispute, which precipitated the dispute between the NRA and Ackerman, brings up a vital question which we will be exploring throughout this season. If the CEO of the NRA isn't making himself aware of decisions that impact the future of the organization, isn't that a problem? And if he was aware but was lying about it, what else is he trying to cover up? Ollie North called us, my wife and I, and we were on the phone for almost two hours, weren't we? Mm-hmm. You know, it was a a private conversation, but I feel it's important to disclose it. That's David Delacula. He and his wife, Marita, are high-dollar NRA benefactors and friends with Oliver North. David is describing a conversation they had with North during which they discussed the negotiation of North's contract. Wayne said, you know, it's a non-salary position, but you're going to have to quit Fox News. And Ollie go, look, I need health insurance. My family needs health insurance. Wayne said, it's not a problem. I'll get you a contract of ACMAC. He was saying, Dave, he negotiated that contract. He makes it sound like he had nothing to do with it. You know, he never heard of it. He actively negotiated that contract for me. Wayne is the one that put that thing together and made it a done deal. The audit process had created a major dispute between the NRA and Ackerman. 
According to LaPierre, Ackerman did not feel obligated to comply with the audit, which threatened to put them both in a precarious position. By the end of 18, there's a real dispute that has emerged between Ackerman and the NRA over this audit that is being pursued by the Brewer firm. The NRA contends that Ackerman McQueen refused to comply with the audit, at least to the satisfaction of the NRA and its new attorney, Bill Brewer. And as Brewer continued to scrutinize the relationship between the NRA, Ackerman McQueen, and Oliver North, North gave Brewer a taste of his own medicine. He began to look into the details of Bill Brewer's agreement with the NRA. So North, towards the end of 2018, you know, now he's been there for a few months. I mean, he's still new. I mean, he's just getting his feet under him. But he comes to understand what the level of billing is from the Brewer firm. So he starts to get involved in the whole dispute in a very aggressive way. He wants to see the billing records, and he also wants to make sure that the Brewer firm was properly retained, that their mission hasn't drifted beyond what they were hired to do. Confrontations with Ollie North persisted well into 2019, and North was seeking particularly the billing records of the Brewer firm, and was constantly asking for them. And Wayne, in describing to me his interactions with North over this period of several months, used the term waterboarding four times. So he just returned to that again and again. He said it was like waterboarding. He said North would just not stop. Oliver North felt his persistence was justified when he discovered the amount that Bill Brewer had been charging. Over a span of 13 months, Brewer had billed the NRA for $24 million. North, like many others within the organization, was deeply concerned with that figure. He was telling me, you know, there's serious issues here in the way they're wasting money. They're spending money left and right, and it's just crazy. I mean, it's like $2 million a month. It can bankrupt them. He said, Dave, I mean, they're spending money here at this rate. They're not going to stay afloat. And he was saying, the most powerful tool I have is as an NRA president, I can demand an outside audit. I told Wayne, I'm going to get an outside audit done on Brewer's billings. Wayne told him, if you do that, I'm going to fire you. Eventually, North bypassed Wayne and confronted Brewer directly, asking him to provide materials justifying his bills and the scope of his team's investigation. LaPierre quickly interceded, informing North that, quote, because you are an employee of Ackerman McQueen and have a conflict of interest, I request again that you kindly cease and desist from any further involvement. And as for Brewer, he received an apology from LaPierre on behalf of North's actions and a message stating, quote, 
please keep up the good work and disregard this and any similar missives. But as Brewer continued his inquiry into Ackerman McQueen, Oliver North, undeterred, continued his probe into Brewer. And on April 12th, 2019, two weeks before the annual members' meeting, the unthinkable happened. Developing right now, the National Rifle Association is suing one of its longtime ad partners based here in Oklahoma City. We're talking about Ackerman McQueen Advertising Agency. They're at the center of the lawsuit. This is another sign the relationship between the two is worsening. On behalf of the NRA, Bill Brewer filed a lawsuit against its oldest partner and closest confidant. Well, the NRA and Ackerman McQueen have been working together for 38 years. The ad firm is largely credited with turning the association into the political giant it is today. There's also a lot of money at stake here. Ackerman has billed the NRA more than $40 million in recent years. The lawsuit sent out a shockwave. An Ackerman McQueen attorney emailed news of the lawsuit to a veteran NRA attorney who responded in all caps saying, quote, O-M-G. And Steve Hart, longtime outside counsel for the NRA and the man responsible for recruiting Brewer in the first place, expressed his disbelief in an email to an NRA executive. It read, quote, Brewer just picked a fight with the folks with all the dirt on the expenses for the last 30 years. But the fight that Brewer picked with Ackerman McQueen was all the more confounding for one additional reason. One other interesting point here, the NRA has hired William Brewer as its attorney for the case. Brewer is the brother-in-law of Ackerman CEO, Revan McQueen. That decision now being criticized by Ackerman as a conflict of interest, but we will see what the court does next. You heard that right. Bill Brewer, the attorney hired by the NRA, who instigated a war with Ackerman McQueen, is married to Sky McQueen, Angus McQueen's daughter, and sister of current CEO, Revan McQueen. You have to be fucking kidding me. There has to be some crazy explanation for this. And then it turned out that the explanation and what was happening behind the scenes was like 50,000 times crazier than I ever could have imagined. It was not anything that I could have guessed at. Steve Hart concluded his email to the Ackerman McQueen executive with an ominous declaration, erasing all doubt as to how people would respond to the fallout. It was six short words. Let loose the dogs of war. This season on Gangster Capitalism. It's become this incestuous gangster train wreck dumpster fire. It's corruption. Simple, straightforward. It is corrupt. What the fuck? Why would you hire someone into such a high-ranking position without checking into his background? 
I remember turning to my coworker and I said, have you ever seen a hostile takeover? And he goes, no. And I said, you just saw one. It just stirs inside of me that this is not right for America. It was one of the things that prompted me to go public. And on the next episode of Gangster Capitalism. I am tired of you dancing around this. You have allegations. Would you please get to the microphone, please? Just tell us what the allegations are. The dirt is coming out. And the stage is set for a contentious culmination to the annual meetings in Indianapolis as members choose their sides in the fight for the future of the NRA. We are under attack from without. We do not need to be under attack from within. If you have any tips you'd like to share, please reach out to us at tips at gangstercapitalism.com or you can leave a voicemail at 347-674-6980. For more information, go to gangstercapitalism.com and follow us on Instagram at gangstercapitalism or on Twitter at gangstercapital. This has been a creation and presentation of C13 Originals, a division of Cadence 13. Executive produced by Chris Corcoran, Zach Levitt, and me, Andrew Jenks. Written and directed by Zach Levitt and me. Produced by Lloyd Lockridge and Perry Crowell. Edited by Perry Crowell. Mixing and mastering by Bill Schultz. Research and production support by Ian Mont. Production management by Terrence Malingone. Studio coordination by Sean Cherry. Artwork and design by Kirk Courtney. And marketing and PR by Josephina Francis and Hilary Schuff. Our original score is by Joel Goodman, and our theme song, Your Sins Will Find You Out, is by Eli Paperboy Reed. I'm Bobby Finger. And I'm Lindsay Weber. Do you ever see a new face or name on your news feeds and say, who the heck is that? Our podcast, Who Weekly, is everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't. Think of us as your cheat code to People Magazine, your glossary for Hollywood, a shortcut to understanding pop culture at large. For the past eight years, Who Weekly has been telling listeners everything they need to know about the celebrities they don't. The New Yorker says we spelunk deep into the demimonde with convivial delight. That's a direct quote. Mostly, we're going to explain to you Irish star Barry Keoghan's sudden rise to fame and relationship with a not-so-under-the-radar pop princess named Sabrina. The fake wedding Real Housewives star Cynthia Bailey had to promote a limo rental company. And why all the Gen Zers you know are talking about a guy named Benson Boone. Each episode goes deep into the biggest celebrity stories of the moment. And if you're still confused, we even have a weekly call-in episode where we answer the most burning celebrity queries. Who Weekly airs twice weekly with brand new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen and follow Who Weekly, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts.